Okay, could, so could you start by saying your name and what your current position is? Uh, hello, uh, my name is Dr. Raha West. Um, I'm an anaesthetist, uh, but I'm currently uh, doing a PhD uh, in um, perioperative cancer. So that's cancer during uh, cancer initiative uh, during surgery. Um, I've just started uh, doing PhD for a year, but before that, uh, I was an anaesthetist at Buckinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust, and I was there for about six years before I left to do my PhD. Okay, so going back to the very beginning, uh, can you Hi. just take take me through the um, the steps in your career before you uh, reached your position at Buckinghamshire Healthcare Trust? Well, to go to the very beginning, um, I, I graduated from University of Leicester in, in the year 2000. Um, and then I did, uh, so I did uh, the initial uh, training um, uh, in medicine, and then I did a bit of surgery before I thought, oh, I really want to do anaesthetic. So I went into anaesthetic training in 2006. It was in Brighton. And um, after I finished the senior house officer post, what that's what it called then, it's called something else now. Um, I took time out of training uh, to, to do research. So I landed a job at St. George's Intensive Care in Tooting, uh, exclusively um, a, a clinical research fellow job. Uh, so I was running two commercial trials and it was, I feel like it was the best job I've ever done. Uh, but of course I have to go back and you know continue my anesthetic training. Um, I, I was in North Central London, so around uh, UCL Royal Free Hospital. And, and then um, I met my current husband who works in Oxford. So I thought I have to go out of London and <laughs> in Buckinghamshire. So I went to uh, Buckinghamshire uh, as a senior anesthetist in 2016. And um, when I was there, so I, I, I work in theatre. I also do a lot of intensive care. And um, I started uh, doing being involved in research again when I was there. Uh, in 2018, I was I I I, I applied and, and was successful to become the uh, Clinical Research Network Research Fellow. So I now have affiliation with the uh, um, Dance Valley and South Midland uh, Clinical Research Network, and um, and and just been going strong in terms of research because. You know, as a doctor, yes, I, I, I you know, my day-to-day -day ambition or aim is to save life. But I also, I felt with research, I can uh, stretch it further because uh, it's, it's like an opportunity for me to do more to, to help people. Because everything we do as a doctor, in rely on the knowledge we know, what the previous people have find, found out, and things change. You know, the pathology of disease change, so there's a you know ongoing investigation to find out are we doing the right thing, which is what attract me to research. And uh, I'm I'm very very passionate about uh, research and integrated that into uh, you know clinical care. So can you give me a couple of examples of the research questions you've been you were exploring um before 2020? Uh so oh I I look at research I mean I, any any gaps I, before 2020 I didn't really have any you know one specific uh, uh channel if you like like for example um uh, when I was doing the uh, uh, um, the in two thousand eight, I was doing the clinical research fellow job. Uh, we were looking at um, 
um, study in intensive care, how best to sedate patient. In intensive care, uh, people get sedation so they can, uh, we can rest them and they can, you know, don't, don't feel pain, you know, of all the potentially invasive stuff they have to face in, in, in ICU. So uh, we were looking at um, uh, a type of sedation uh, that could be best in intensive care. And then look at uh, things like, you know, infection sepsis. I also, at one point, look at uh, uh, obstetric uh, research um, um, in maternity on uh, during um, 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 cesarean sections on uh, the best drugs to make your womb contract so you don't bleed. So they looked into that as well. And uh, now I'm just thinking, it's sort of like where the wind takes me at the time where I feel, oh, th that needs answering, uh, you know, before 2020. Um, what what looks good as well, uh, I've, I've even been, um, so in, when I was at Bucks, um, I was leading uh, a study where we want to look at uh, patient quality of life uh, after um, after hospital, oh no, after after surgery. So I'm I'm the principal investigator. That means I'm responsible for the conduct of the study at my hospital. Of course, you know uh, the study is from a you know a, a multi center, multi hospital. So I'm just responsible for for my hospital. Um, and uh, that was a very good experience. I've even been involved with. Uh, um, Basically, you know, anything that I thought, oh, that's interesting. I want to, I want to help more. Basically, mm -hmm. and was that Stoke Mandeville where you were based? Which hospital? Yes, was it? so I was, uh, yeah, I was based at Stoke Mandeville and Wickham yeah. Hospital. Uh, mm. I work at both, so it's under one umbrella of mm. Healthcare Nature's Trust. Mm -hmm. So let's finally arrive at twenty twenty. Can you remember where you were or what you were doing when you first heard? Um, about the, the pandemic beginning in China? Interestingly, so in the early 2020, in January 2020, um, we had the rumour, it was a rumour back then. Uh, coincidentally, I'm actually from Malaysia. Uh, so my brother in January had a serious motorbike accident and he was critically ill in intensive care and we really thought he wasn't going to survive. So I had to... Got, uh, I had to fly home to Malaysia end of January uh, to support my parents. And I, I really thought he, my brother was going to die. And of course, that's when uh, it hit me. It's not a rumor, uh, you know, uh, there's this thing called COVID-19 because of course to fly to Malaysia, there's all the precaution. It, was, it, was a, it wasn't a red country, I think it was amber. Uh, I remember I fly to Singapore airport, but you have to fill in a lot of questionnaire, uh, temperature check, very, uh, 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 you know, you have to wear masks at the airport and every like couple of meter checkpoint, they che were checking your temperature. And that was, that was end of January, early of February. Obviously in England back then, we thought it was just a rumor, you know, we don't know, it's, it's not gonna come to us. It's, you know, it's in Asia somewhere. <laughs> But I had to go home because my I thought my brother was going to die. So it was a very strange experience because now suddenly it's become reality. It the the you know the, the, like the hospital you can only visit because you know you have a per, you know important reason like you know critically ill relative. And if you go to the, the mall, it's completely deserted. People don't go out in public, and everywhere you go, people were wearing masks on the street. And I thought you know. 
wow, it, this is real. And, you know, and then I went, so of course, when I came back to England, uh, so my brother survived, thankfully. I came back to England sort of mid-February. I, I went into um, uh, quarantine. I think um, I was I quarantined for two weeks, just on, there's no guideline there what you have to do, but the department felt that's the safe things to do, you know, with, uh, because there's no lateral flow tests back then. No. Yeah, so so, so we just be quarantined as long as you're not symptomatic. I came back of, uh, from uh, to work, but I felt a little bit, if I, if I can be honest, I felt a little bit uncomfortable because while I was there, uh, everywhere, you know, people are being, you know, wearing masks and then people are going to go to crowded area like the mall were completely deserted and so much things in place. Like, like I said, the, the, the airport have so many uh, checkup points for temperature. And then when I arrive in Heathrow, people don't even ask where I just came from. So I just felt really uncomfortable and I thought, oh dear, you know, should I be worried? So, but anyway, I just get on and 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 then and then come March. Um uh yes, and then it hit us. I think it was about 24th of March. I might be wrong, but it just hit that, us. That was when the lockdown started. Yeah, but there had been lockdown. cases. There yeah. were cases already before then, I think, one or two cases. And obviously yes. it's Italy had was already yes, in desperate yes, straits yes, by yes, then. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes. So I was sort of you know made aware of it way before we were worried about it here, because I've seen it with my eyes, you know. Uh, uh, like like at the hospital, you know, some hospital. How they did in Malaysia, they they dedicate uh, a hospital just for COVID, and people were, you know, it wasn't a lockdown just yet, but people were were just taking a lot of precaution. They don't go out and, you know, and all that. So, um, and when I yeah, when I was I came back, I, I, you know, I got a bit worried because we just, you know, didn't think it will, you know, come here. Mm -hmm. And then did you start to see cases coming into intensive care? Of course, yeah, yeah. We start to see the, the cases that it was a it was a it was a quite a stressful time, uh, difficult time being on the front line. Uh I personally almost feel hopeless because uh patients coming in exponentially uh with COVID and it feels like you're in intensive care, they're very, very sick. And you feel hopeless, like everything you do with all the knowledge you have, with all the experience you have, you still can't help some of them because there was no consensus of what and how you should treat patient. So we don't know, you know, we, we, we did our best, you know, to, to the best of our knowledge, but because we've not uh, been exposed to experience this virus before, we don't know what will work, what's not going to work, uh, you know, is what we're doing going to cause more harm, you know, you know, so so it was a very difficult time. Um, and of course, because the, the patient, I mean, coming with COVID just keep getting more and more and then more and more of them go to intensive care and a lot of them, you know, didn't survive. And when, you know, it, when you, I'm in my 40s, so when you're in your 40s and you have someone younger than you coming in and, you know, previously healthy coming in and then it, when they die, it really, really is difficult. And you're asking why, you know, they weren't unwell, you know, they didn't have, you know, severe lung problems before they were like me 
why did, did this happen? So, so the, the, it was, you know, I personally feel hopeless because yes, I, you know, I work very hard I, I, to do my absolute best to save life, but I can't to some degree because I need to find answer. And then of course, the recovery trial was for me a godsend. Yeah, well, let's let's hang on just a second yeah. because the other thing, the other aspect of this, of course, was that you were having to try to protect yourself from infection yeah. and your colleagues, yeah. which must have made things even even more difficult for you. Yeah, this is the thing that while everybody else locked themselves safe away from the virus at home, we have to leave our family, our young children, and face the virus. Everybody else, you know, can lock themselves. We can't, we have to face the virus. And as an anesthetist and, you know, working in intensive care, you are sometimes this, you know, so close to the patient's face and, and their mouth and their cough because you have to do what you have to do to save their life. So we put you, our, you have to, you have to intubate them, presumably. Exactly, exactly, yes, yes. exactly. Of course, you know, uh, so, so this whole, you know, the, the, the trust quickly implemented uh, full PPE to protect staff and the PPE is not the most comfortable thing. And once you're in the PPE, so the way the intensive care work was they, they sort of completely sealed it. So it's like almost, if you imagine like an alien movie where people uh, must be very scary for patients as well. People wearing, you know, this hood with everything's covered. You can just see their eye. And once you wear that, you entered what I call the zone, you stay in there for about four or five hours. And it's very, very hot and you sweat. I mean, I sweat from, you know, places that I didn't think I can sweat from. And because when you comes out, when you take everything else, you are soaked. But, you know, so it's very uncomfortable. I mean, you can't drink, you can't eat, you know, you get very thirsty. The, the masks make me feel very thirsty and I'm, you know, excreting sweat. <laughs> While, you know, also, you know, it was a very, I didn't, I don't know, looking back, I just didn't think I would experience that in my lifetime, but I did. Um, yeah, and like I said, it must be also scary uh, with patients to see this sort of mass, you know, because I have, I, I'm very smiley. One of the things my patient likes about me is my warmth and smile, you know, looking after them. It's, you know, when you are in a lot of pain or when you are, you know, very unwell, it's just nice to have, you know, a doctor or a healthcare professional that's very kind, you know, that, that smile. I don't know. A lot of my patients said, you know, you're very smiley. You like the angel sort of thing, <laughs> but they can't see that now because my face is covered. It's just my eye. Although some of them say, I can tell by your eye, you are smiling, which I thought is, you know, is nice, but yeah, it must be also scary for patient because, they are isolated, you know, they can't uh, have their loved one with them um, because um, so it's a very scary time. And of course, I, I got COVID uh, in April. Oh, so uh, quite soon, no, no, within a month. Oh, yeah, I was yeah, one of the, yeah, yeah I got COVID. Uh, my son uh, also got COVID. Um, he didn't eat for days and he lost a lot of weight. How old is he? He was, at the time, he was 12. So I got COVID uh, in April, quite early on. Of course, you know, in the hospital, we 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 took all the precautions of uh, you know uh, full protections, but 
you know, it's not, nothing is 100%. Mm -hmm. I got COVID and um, I was quite ill, but I didn't need to go to the hospital. I didn't want to go to the hospital. <laughs> I said to my husband, so I had, I had temperature for 10 days, high temperature for 10 days. I was shaking. It's such an odd feeling to be in that, to feel that high temperature and you're shaking um and you sort of start seeing things but I said to my husband my husband's not a doctor so I said to him I do not want to go to the hospital because if I go to the hospital I will never see you it's that's very irrational thinking but when I was ill that's what I felt I know I'm a doctor it's very irrational thing to say but as a patient that's what I felt I said to my husband only send me to the hospital if my breathing slows down or become very, very fast or if I'm not myself. Otherwise, I'm going to stay at home, you know, be in my own bed. But I still I still run the uh, um, uh, clinical trial from my bed because I have to look after my team. Um, yeah, so it was a unique time of my life. If, if I may say that. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, so let's get to the trial. So so the trial had started um, even before you you fell ill. How, how did you first hear about the recovery trial? Where, was there a, a kind of general call for help sent out around all the all the hospitals? Yes, there was a call for help sent out. So I, when I came back from Malaysia um, and then I finished my uh, uh, quarantine, and then the head of my department said, said to me, because he knows I'm, you know, I'm passionate about research. And uh, so he said, there's this trial called recovery. Would you mind looking into it? Is what he said. I said, yes, of course. So not only I looked into it, I felt like this is the answer for me. I felt like, you know, remember I said, you know, I, I felt hopeless. I felt like I, you know, I need more to to help my patient and suddenly you know, there's a trial to try to uh, because at the time there were so many uncertainties about the best treatment and so I thought this is crucial this trial because this could potentially help us save life from from the virus. So what was the trial setting out to do? So the trial set out to do so it's a the, it's called an adaptive platform. What that means is that the trial set to investigate various drugs that we already use for something else. So uh, to what you call repurpose, mean reuse them to see, uh, of course, based on uh, experts' uh, um, uh, uh, opinions uh, and some other prior evidence to check what what drugs could help. Save patients to to help patient, save patient on the ward to 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 help people avoid the ventilator to avoid going to intensive care and to not you know save life. So it sets to uh, so if you imagine a platform, so uh, you, you, the drug can go on the platform, you know, get tested, and then once you find an answer, yes or no, it can leave the platform. While in the meantime, when you find more. Um, evidence or more suggestion from the expert group, the drugs goes on the platform. So we constantly, continuously looking into a various drug to see where, which one works, which one can help, how much can it help, what can it help, and what doesn't work. You know, because of course around the time there was a lot of, you know, not people who thinks oh. Like, like, you know, this can work, like hydroxychloroquine will, you know, save life. But how would you know unless 
you do a clinical trial, a proper clinical trial that has been, you know, properly thought of, approved, you know, so it was very important. Um, like, um, you know, I remember, you know, the, the, you know, at one time you can even have, I even had setting six drugs on the platform and these are all very different drugs and some of them I've not even heard of, but I have to learn very quickly to know the ins and outs because at the end of the day, the, respons the responsibility of my patient who I, you know, uh, entrusted with the trial, it's my responsibility. So I need to know, you know, every details I can about the risk. Is it going to be safe? Is it going to be safe for this patient before, you know, I, I, I recruit them? It was... It, it was a very fast learning curve for me because it's a very fast paced trial. But I remember thinking, so when I look at it, um, I thought, yeah, this is crucial. We must do this and we must do well because what, how we, you know, how we do it, it, it patient people life depends on it, I felt. But when I look everywhere in the hospital, people are so busy, as in healthcare professionals, nurses, doctors are so busy, people are so stretched. Um, and I thought, oh, this is not going to be easy because people are so busy saving life. The last things they want to do is more things. So, you know, but I remember saying to, you know, my research nurse, let's just do it. They, they don't put a minimum of what you need to, to recruit. So let's just see and, you know, work hard as, you know. Um, so, yeah, so we, we, you know, we have a very small team to begin with. It's just me and my research nurse. And then, um, but the thing about the trial is um, it's everything has been stripped back to just answer the research question, which of these drugs can save life. Um, the, the protocol was concise, it was clear, so it was easy for us, the researcher, and also for uh, uh, healthcare professionals to understand the study. It's not complicated at all. And um, like to for the research staff to be involved, they've made short training videos. I mean, videos are a lot easier to watch rather than papers. I mean, admit it, you know, pages and pages of words. So we watch the video and then we have the understanding, you know, and then we're good to go. Uh, so, and then, but like I said, we have, to, I feel like we have to raise awareness. People are very busy. They don't have time to read papers. So we put posters everywhere, even in the staff toilets to say, we're doing this. This is why we're doing this. This is why we need to do this. People are dying. We need to save life. Um, so, yeah, because the it, the trial was designed uh, as such that it, it's it's been stripped down to the bare essential. It was easier for us to promote the trial among the busy uh, clinicians, and we, and the way the trial was designed also so that it can be incorporated in our day to day clinical care. So it was very pragmatic and it was easy for patients as well. So if you just start from the moment where a new patient is admitted um, with yeah. a diagnosis of COVID, what, what would you do at that point? So, yeah, so uh, with one, of, one of my team will go and speak to the patient and, and said, um, uh, you know, uh, it's been confirmed that you have COVID-19 and uh, we're doing this study to try to look at various medication to see if it can save life. Uh, it might not benefit you. It might, it might not, but it, it should benefit other people. And I think at the time, I mean, the, one of the unique 
thing about the pandemic was everybody was in it together. So it like I want to save life, the research team want to save life, the healthcare professional want to save life, patient also want to do something. So when you go to them and said, there's this study, uh, you are eligible because you have COVID. Uh, I'm not sure if it's going to work on you or not, but it will help other people. Would you be happy? Most people said yes, because people want to have the sense of contribution because we are in it together. So, so, and then, you know, they signed up and then you randomize them. So you randomly, the, the system randomly allocates, that's just how clinical trial works, you know, to, uh, so to avoid bias, because otherwise, you know, so randomly allocate patients to the treatment and then they have the treatment for 10 days and then we look at, you know, how they get on with their COVID. Or they might be randomly assigned to just get the standard level of care. As well, yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. As well. Because yeah. of course you have to compare the drugs yeah. to uh, no drugs, I mean, to the routine things that we do. Yeah. And, and how far, were you just running the trial in your own hospital or did it extend throughout the health authority? So, so I, I was running the hospital at Stoke Mandeville Hospital yeah. and Wickham Hospital as well. Yeah. 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 I have a very, so I, like I said, well, I, I first started with just me and a, a research nurse, but we soon realized, you know, we need to form a team to, to spread the work. Uh, although, you know, I was, uh, I was available 24 seven. Like, for example, when I was, when I was ill with COVID, I know I didn't, I think maybe because I was a doctor, I have a very uh, high threshold of going to the hospital. I tolerate a lot more. I did pass out, pass out a couple of times, you know, come to the hospital, but I didn't. Anyway, um, so, um, but I still, I still, you know, manage my team uh, 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 from home. And uh, um, I mean, you know, say, you know, have you got patients from there? And, and any problems? Blah, blah, blah. But I, I think at one point I feel like if I die, I want to die having helping people. I know it sounds rather dramatic and it makes me a bit tearful, but that's, that is what I felt at the time. I said, you know, because of course that was April because we don't have as much knowledge about where this is going. There's of course that, and because at the time we thought, you know, people get COVID can die very easily. Of course, I you know I didn't, you know, I, I did consider that I could die from this because I know it sounds dramatic, but in April, because we don't know much. So I thought I could die from this, but if I'm going to die, I'm going to die fighting. It's like, it feels like going to a war against the virus. So I want to die fighting. So this is why people say, oh, you're poorly. You should just, you know, you know just, you know, not communicate with us. So I say, I want to, I have to, you know, I have to look after the trial. So, you know, safety of the patient in the trial. So I did that. Sorry, I got a bit emotional because just that's thinking right, back. That's all right. Yeah. Yes, it's yes, like yes. a war against the virus. Mm, mm. And so most of the patients that you approached uh, agreed to be in the trial. Yeah. yeah. Most, most of, I mean, most of the, I mean, this is probably the, one of the few trial where most patients agreed to be in the trial. Um, of course, you know, um, I, I, I did, I think outside the box about how to uh, promote research in general and promote the trial. Like um, 
I, uh, I went on the local radio to say, you know, this is the trial we're doing, why we're doing it, why this is important, why the public should get involved. And, you know, when patient comes to an E, they get a little information about the trial before we approach them. So they have some idea, uh, you know, before you, you go to see them. And like I said, uh, you know, the public has been very supportive. It must be the, the sense of unity, which is mm. unique to the pandemic. I'm not saying normally people don't unite together, but the the you know the, the that time bring people together and most people um agree to participate in the trial uh, uh because everyone is aware you know this could be dangerous and people want to do their part as well so so we did very well um you know we we um it was the fastest quickest trial opens and, and recruiting to first patient. So um, we got the green light. Uh, I remember it was the 26th of March. It was a Thursday. And Friday the 27th, we recruited our first patient. And then a week later, we had 20. And then in a fortnight, we had 70. But I did, I did come to the hospital. You know, the bank holiday weekend in April, I Easter, went Easter weekend. Oh, yeah. I was, yeah, Easter weekend. Yeah. On Saturday, I went in Stoke Mandeville Hospital from eight o'clock at eight a.m. I didn't leave until nine p.m. I went. I talked to the doctors uh, on call that weekend. So I said, so basically, I was building an army because I couldn't do this by myself. Don't forget, I also have my clinical job. I'm also a doctor in intensive care, which I also do. So I was building an army. I decided, yes, I'm going to come in. I'm going to build an army. I talked to almost all of the medical doctors there. They're all enrolled. I got them all to watch the video to get trained about the trials. And then me and the army just went and tackle and see every patient who has COVID in the hospital. And we recruit them and we randomize them. We give them the treatment. So we are, uh, you know, compared to some of the big trusts, you know, up north, we are not, uh, uh, we are the, you know, not a big hospital, we are district general hospital, but in the first uh, wave, we were the seventh highest recruiter out of 170-ish hospital. Oh, that's impressive. Because I have, a, because I built an army and I have mm -hmm. my army. Uh, so, uh, but I make myself available for my army because I mean, the well-being of my team is very important to me. Um, you know, I never take them for granted. Uh, like I said, so I did a lot of initiative uh, um, to, to, to promote competitive streak. I, 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 I issue certificate because a lot of the team uh, were junior doctors, um, you know, they're hungry to get research experience and they normally don't get opportunity to be involved in research. So, so I said, right. Uh, so, you know, because also certificate is always good with, with junior doctors, you know, they can put in the CV and then with the name of the, you know, principal investigator. Uh, so, so I have um, a recruiter of the week certificate uh, 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 but then you know, I was fair so if you are not recruit of the week there's also engagement of the week people who try because sometimes you can try very hard but you might not be able to recruit so uh, that's uh, uh, um, uh, engagement to the trial so you know the doctors they were just you know it's an initiative which works so they like certificates so they work very hard to do to, 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 to recruit so basically uh, because 
the trial is, is designed as such, it incorporates to your standard care. So it's not like you have to, they'd have to go separately to just to do research. So they, they do their ward round on the medical ward. They see the COVID patients and the consultants, the respiratory, you know, on the, on the COVID team, they all helped. They were amazing. So they look at how many COVID patients they are, they are, uh, they're going to see on the ward round. And then they look, you know, they see, you know, part of the, the checklist. So they, they see the patient or can they, you know, go into a recovery trial or not. And then we come, we said, how many patients do you think is eligible, you know, from your board round? They said, oh yeah, that's okay. That's okay. That's probably not because, you know, that's, uh, so yeah, so it's all incorporated into the standard of care and the, the individual trainee who has the most patient of the week, you know, got a certificate. And then, and then you know, I, I do things like, um, you know, at Christmas, you know, I, I buy chocolate biscuits for the ward. Uh, it's just something nice things to do, you know, Christmas or after the blue. I remember actually Valentine uh, 2021, I bought chocolate biscuits for the ward. It is a personal appreciation, uh, you know, for, for people, for working hard. So, so uh, yeah, so. You know, so yes, I built an army, and in my army, I also and I also thought, who else can I get in my army? In my army, so it's not just doctors, it's not just nurses. Uh, people like from the lab because they have to process blood, spread the words for them. You know, the porters as well because they have to take samples, and pharmacies. Of course, pharmacies is the big, big, big part of it. I have an amazing uh, clinical trial pharmacy on my shoulder with me uh, you know to, to guide me so you know it's not a single person effort at all to guide me to do the trial and um and the, the drugs that you were putting through the trial were they all things you'd normally have in the pharmacy anyway or did they have oh, to get them in no 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 there are some of them you have to get them in and some of them are expensive and you have to special order them so it's it's not you know you know it's not just something from the cupboard uh, you know, but um, obviously, you know, the, the experts expert group has you know, will des decide what drugs should go on the platform. Mm. And they funded that. The, so the, the the overall central study had funding for all that, did they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah. how soon did you start to see? Um, well, I, I know the study came out with um, one important result. Well, two important results quite early on. Um, was that something that you felt you could share in the uh, in the importance of that those findings? Yes, of course. So, so we started the trial. Uh, we recruited our first patient twenty seven of March, and then the the first result, dexamethasone, came in May. So we were extremely extremely happy um, because um, although patients are randomised, uh, so as in we can't determine what they get. But uh, so Dex shot Dex shot for dexamethasone. So I was known as the Dex finger because every time I pressed the button to randomize, I got Dex dexamethasone, <laughs> and I was like, oh, not again. <laughs> so yeah, she's the Dex finger. So of course this is a completely random, you know. But it was by chance rather, you know, it's just but by, by, by chance you can still get the same thing. So 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 when when Dex was one of the first major result that comes to out to save life I was like well thank god I had a dex finger I didn't know <laughs> <laughs> so we were happy we were happy we thought oh let's have some you know some non-alcoholic bubbly so we did have some non-alcoholic bubbly when we heard the results because we felt you know we contributed to that mm, we mm. for that 
it was. And how, and how quickly was dexamethasone then incorporated into the standard oh, care? Straight away, because uh, yeah. fortunately, dex is something that's uh, available that we use, you know, as an anesthetist um, during theatre or, you know, or in 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 ICU, so it's a it's drug we already have, you know, it's cheap, which which we, which we makes it even better to 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 repurpose the drug. So, and did you did you see? Could you, from your personal experience, see the number of deaths falling and, and the um, it, uh, the severity of disease falling? Um, it's hard to say though, because obviously it's all relative, isn't it? Like if you see three people dying out of what number, so it's it's you know it's I, I can't say I quickly see people you know, so it has to be comparative. So you know mm. I'm I'm not sure I can say that, but be the knowledge we have, you know, out of you know thousand of people, uh, you know, significantly. Uh, a significant number of people uh, 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 have better outcome. That itself is the reassurance for me. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and how long? So the study has continued. I mean, I think the study is still active today. Is, is it? Is it not? Yeah, the SCC, yeah. I think, yeah. So I I am um, I. So I was the um, principal investigator from uh, March twenty twenty, and I left. Um, a year later, um, I left the trial August 2021 because mm-hmm. um, October 2021, uh, I I went to do a full time PhD in cancer. Although, again, you know, the next sort of after COVID for me personally, after COVID nineteen, cancer is the next pressing next pressing. Uh, 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 you know, a uh, uh, thing where you know, one in two people can die from cancer. So, and unfortunately, you know, during the pandemic, cancer had, had to take a slight step back. Uh, uh, and so, it's a, it's a, it's another pressing issue. So, so I'm doing my PhD on that uh, at Imperial College London. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But during so during the first part of 2021, as the vaccination was beginning to come become available. Uh, was the pressure lessened in the hospital, or were you still seeing a lot of COVID patients? In uh, the, you mean this, the first part of twenty twenty one when the yes, yes, as, as, I, as yeah, because I was, yeah, um, so because I was involved in two vaccine trials as well. Uh, oh in yes, Oxford, yeah, in Oxford, mm. so um, um, things were certainly like maybe sort of meet because meet 2020 because the first cohort of each was you know the, the 80 plus uh, was offered the vaccine in early 2021 uh so um we we sort of meet 2021 we did you know it did die down if you like the, the, yeah. the but by by the you know the by the second and the, the second wave of the pandemic it, it was nothing you know not not as you know severe as uh, or as scary as the first wave because uh, we have some treatment. We we have now knowledge about what we you know ups against, and of course the uh, vaccine has been enrolled. So uh, you know we we are seeing a lot less of uh, COVID. So things are you know not as bad as it was in April, May, June. So the vaccine has certainly uh, made a difference uh, when it was all enrolled. And and like as a healthcare professional, I felt 
uh, more protected as well, uh, having been vaccinated, working, facing the the virus. It, it, of course, it's not hundred percent, but I felt you know, um, I'm slightly my shield, you know, is is more. <laughs> rather than just the hood and the you know surgical gown um yeah so yeah it was a very unprecedented time uh it's certainly uh an interesting turning point of my life uh but one thing that uh was obvious to me was my passion for research because um but I was willing to die for it. <laughs> mm, mm. And what's your, what do you see yourself doing in the future? You Are you going to be working full-time on your PhD for the next three years? Yeah, so I'm, I'm currently uh, uh, working full-time on my PhD because there's no point delaying it. Uh, and then after my PhD, uh, I'm going to pursue the same uh, subject for a definite trial. So uh, my focus... We, like I said, the, the the pandemic for, for on a personal level uh makes makes it obvious to me where my true passion was uh, is which is research so from now on uh i'm going to uh spend the the other half of my career if you like cuz i'm almost 50 the other half of my career focusing on uh on research uh you know based on my experience based on my talent and 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 my passion i think being passionate and enthusiastic about something is probably the most important thing you might not be good that good at it but you can be better because you want to do it you know you want to uh, uh wake up uh, at you know seven o'clock in the morning and work for 10 hours straight and not even re- you know, be aware of your surrounding because you're so in the zone. So that's what I, I feel like with with research. Um, but the research questions that you're addressing are all, uh, as it were, very very sort of near clinical. They're near. Oh ah, um, yes, yeah, 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 exactly. Practice, yes, exactly. I mean, all of the research questions that I, I, I I'm addressing is to do with patient. You know how you know how 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 can it uh, help save life? How can it how, what you know how can it affect patients or how safe it is for for patients? So safety aspect is also you know important to me um, because you know you can do a lab experience and give some toxic dose or something you know and, and show that it you know helps kill the cancer, but can you give that to the patient? No, you mm-hmm. can't. So, my, so your but your research is therefore you're going to need to have collaborations with clinical doctors in clinical practice in order absolutely. to oh, yeah. Of course, yeah yeah exactly yeah. So, so it's yeah. not a it's not a big data type study it's actually oh no no no, no. no. my 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 research is is uh, is patient based uh, clinical based yeah absolutely yeah no <laughs> at the moment not not data. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I think we've covered pretty much everything that I have on my list. Um, yeah, I suppose I suppose the the question I could finish with is, um, as you said, it was an unprecedented time living and working through the pandemic. Yes. If, uh, God forbid, it were to happen again, what would you like to see done differently this time? If it was to happen again... Well, I know 
how important research is due, you know during the the uncertainty time so so and having had experience to how to run a massive clinical trial among the very very busy stressful understaffed environment uh a lot of the you know hard work you know has been cut back so i know it's almost like right we 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 know how what what went well last time we're going to do this and even better i mean almost like so i mean the the, the pandemic affects everyone uh differently and i think not I'm, I'm sure not a single person on earth was not affected by covid-19 one way or another uh but on a on a personal level for me i have learned a lot uh, I can even go as far as saying I feel privileged to have the experience because it makes me grow. It makes me uh, uh, question what I want in life, and I've decided I want to pursue more, you know, more experience in research. And I'm doing a PhD, um, and uh, and also privileged to experience delivering the trial because. Uh, you know, I had I feel like I had opportunity to do more for patient, uh, for for clinical staff, because I you know, we didn't just run the trial. We also promote research to doctors, nurses, and students. Uh, you know, I had trainees. I even had medical students in my army, and they had opportunity to be involved in research. You know, where they might not have otherwise, and most of them enjoy the experience, and so have I. So, um, you know, um, because the recovery trial was built into routine uh, clinical care, and I think that was one of the key that made it extremely successful. And I felt that should be the benchmark for future trials. So from my own personal experience uh, for the future trial, I like to incorporate that to routine care as much as possible to not add burdens to people, to, to, to healthcare professional. I have learned a lot and um, I'm extremely grateful for the experience and to have survived the pandemic. 